As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Steiniger. And I'm Matt Goldman. And we're having 20 minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue. Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter. In today's episode, we talked with Mo Plasnik, co founder and CEO of Codeship. He talked with us about how their passion for education. Uh, teaching through video and blog posts is really baked into who they are as a company. He also touched on how creating a wow factor in the first couple minutes of using their product has been huge in moving the needle for them. We learned so much from Mo. We're here with Mo, the co-founder of Codeship. Mo, welcome to the program. Hello. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about, you guys have a fascinating story of starting out CodeShip. Tell us a little bit about those early days and how you guys came together as a team. Yeah, so um, we were um, based in Austria, Indiana. So we are all from Austria. We are founding team of three. And we know us through um, previous work. Um, so I founded a company before, met one of my co-founders there. He worked together with our third co-founder. So we all have worked together before, which was pretty important for us. Um, and we were also really good, good friends. So it was just logical that um, since we also have um, all a different background that we do something together because um, especially if you look at uh, the problem we are solving it's really really important that you have a multidisciplinary founding team in my opinion um, I mean in, in most of the cases it just really helps and um, so one of my co-founders Manny he has design background he's a great designer um, and that's um, a, a huge advantage for us. And if you look at our product, um, you can clearly see um, that we have a great user experience, a great design. Um, and one of my, or our, my second co-founder is um, Flo, who is the CTO, um, the deck guy. He um, set up Jenkins a, a lot in the past. So he had the problem. Um, he um, is just... Um, a really, really um, great engineer, but also um, shares uh, a lot of really important values with me. Um, so um, if you look at how we try to educate the market or how we try to help engineers that have less knowledge about uh, continuous deployment, for example. I mean, we, we do that because of marketing and customer acquisition, of course, but there is also... It is it is part of our vision because we want to educate people. We want to share the knowledge we have because the the reason why we are successful at the moment is because a lot of other people helped us and shared their knowledge with us. And um, as I said, I think especially for a developer product, it's important to also focus a lot on usability and design. Um, I think it's one of the um, cornerstones and one of the most important topics in my opinion. And a lot of people always forget that because think, okay, it's for engineers, um, it has to offer a lot of features, um, a lot of flexibility, um, but it, that, that, that's not the case. It might have been a great product, really nails um, a couple of workflows, really nails a problem. There's a great solution for certain problems. And um, that also includes a great user experience because even developers want to use a product that just works out of the box. And I honestly believe that you, I mean, you can hire designers um, or a team of designers, but your product will never ever have, um, and your team will never ever have such a huge focus on design if it's not baked into the founding DNA of the company. In my opinion. So, how do you how do you describe CodeShip to uh, people who aren't currently doing continuous deployment or testing? Yeah, so um, that's that's pretty simple. So, I mean, one of the most used products out there is Jenkins. Uh, and Jenkins is a um, great product for certain use cases, but if you uh, are developing software in the like GitHub, Amazon, Heroku ecosystem, and you use um, all those great software as a service tools, then you don't really want to use a product for testing and deploying that is a pain to set up, that takes a couple of hours until it's up and running, that you have to post on your own or run on Amazon, but you have to set it up, configure it. You want to use something that provides you with the same great user experience as GitHub or Amazon and works just out of the box. 
Uh, and so we just mention or ask or often ask people if they use use Jenkins and if they are happy with it. <laughs> and normally um, the answer is no. Um, the vein it doesn't work. Um, then you try out CodeShip and uh, it works out of the box. You just sign in, you set everything up, and within a minute normally, <laughs> and it works. So, or go ahead. Um, so we've kind of run into um, the developer mentality a lot, um, especially with Hookfeed, and get the response. Um, well, I could build this myself. Um, and I think that's pretty common for a lot of developer products. Um, how do you guys combat that and also get developers to change their workflow and their process um, to use CodeShip when they've been doing things their own way beforehand? Yeah, so there are definitely engineers out there who, who think um, that way. And to be honest, we are focused on, on the people that use, for example, GitHub. Um, and we are focused at the moment on a certain type of engineers. So somebody, for example, um, a, a startup uh, that is in the process of creating their own product or has their own products up and running their customers. Um, and they often, uh, at least that is our experience, they often have the mindset that they really want to focus on their core products. And their core product is not running their own Git server. Their core product is not um, setting up and maintaining Jenkins. So they often understand, or in most of the cases understand, okay, um, we use a lot of third-party tools um, to create our product. Uh, we don't have to solve everything on our own, because if we do that, uh, we will not be able to focus on the really important points, and um, the really important points are, as I said, is the core product. It's if you create a marketplace, it's the marketplace. If you create a SaaS product, or if you um, build a marketing automation software, then it's that. But it's not the testing and deployment infrastructure. It's not the Git server. It's not the monitoring tool you can use in your rally for it, for example. Um, so we focus on on people who think similar, and we try to educate, especially with our content and our presentation conferences and our meetups, and we try to educate people that they should also think in that way and put like the customer first, um, try to do what has the biggest positive impact for the customer and um, outsource or use other really good solutions for what they don't have to do in-house. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. Com. That's business.att.com. Yeah, and, and that's why personally I wanted to talk to you is to learn about that education process because anyone that follows me on Twitter has probably seen me sing the praises of CodeShip. Uh, I've been using it for about a year, and before that, all of this was so intimidating to me. I did testing, but I didn't have any continuous deployment set up. I'd never tried setting up Jenkins. It just all seemed... Uh, really complex and I couldn't see the benefit or value in it. But CodeShip is the one that taught me the value before I started using it and made me realize through your simple onboarding and everything, how simple it was. Um, this probably sounds like a really bad advertisement, but I want to learn about um, the hard work that went into that because 
it's very hard to educate someone and get them to change their behavior to use your product. And I feel like you guys do that really well. Yeah, so um, the, the, the education or that we want to educate the community and, and other engineers, that was always part of, uh, of us and how we think and how we want to build the company. Um, in the beginning, we obviously had not enough time because I think in the beginning, it's more important to really um, build the initial MVP, um, talk a lot to uh, potential customers and users, um, put the prototype online, get people to use it, and so on. But as soon as we have done that, um, we pretty soon, even before we did Dexter, started to write more and more blog posts, um, even before we were uh, doing it full-time. Um, and, and, and shared um, the knowledge we, we got so far. And it's just part of, of, of us as a team, as individuals, we, we like <laughs> to share knowledge. And I think um, there's, there's no way around doing that because that um, helps the whole community, um, either the whole developer community or the local startup community, um, just to get better. And the onboarding process, I mean, everything we changed, or a lot of the things we changed were mainly based on feedback from existing customers or users. And so we are still talking a lot to them. We are still doing, or the whole league is doing support every day. Um, and this and a really close contact with, with the customers. And I think it is necessary and we, we don't want to change that. And we also set the bar pretty high how simple the bar should be. And if I look back in the beginning, unfortunately, I mean, there is always this 80 20 thing. If you want to, like, um, if you have nearly no resources, really small team, you have to focus. And <laughs> I'm, I'm coming back to why focus is that important again and again. You have to focus on, on like, your, your biggest assumptions or your biggest risks. And, um, like, two years ago, the, 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 the biggest risk was that we were building a product nobody really needs. And, um, so the initial prototype was already simpler than all the other tools out there, but not as simple as we uh, wanna uh, or wanted to, uh, to have it. And um, it's simpler now, and it has a better user experience. But we are still not happy, not nearly, <laughs> because there are so many things we could do better, and we're really working hard um, to make it even an even better product, an even simpler product. Um, and that was part of the the reason why we raised our Series A round, because we are sure that with more resources, we can just do that faster. And what you described, getting people to the first screen build, I think it's really important for every product that you create a, a wow moment really, really fast. So potential users and customers, they dry you out. And what you want to achieve is that within the first couple of minutes, they, they sit in front of their, their browser and think, what the fuck is going on? That's so much better than everything um, else. Um, that's amazing. And I think we are getting better in, in, in nailing um, this wow moment. Uh, and there are still a lot of things we have to do. But an improved onboarding process or the improved onboarding process was definitely a big step forward. So when you guys are trying to find that wow moment, what are you guys doing to test your users? Are you talking to them? Are you watching them use the program? Are you trying to find that wow moment with yourself? Um, what does that process look like? Yeah, so we do 
um, all the all the things you mentioned. I mean, we are using obviously our product every, every day, um, but I think we are already in a stage. And I think it's it's key that you use your own product, but we are already in a stage where we have a lot of customers that have different workflow or are bigger or smaller um, or are not a startup, but maybe a Ruby shop or a freelancer. And so we look at our product in a certain way and we are really careful in building a product that, so we don't want to build a product that only nails our workflow and um, is only a great product for a company in our stage. Um, because the majority of the customers out there are not like coaches, obviously. And um, so we, we, we talk a lot to customers. Um, we interact with them a lot. We also, if there is the chance, we invite them to our office in Boston or in Vienna and look over the shoulder and um, try to understand how they like experience the product. And that's really, really interesting, especially if somebody's trying the product out the first time and you you figure out, oh my God, uh, it's still too complex. There are still so many hurdles in it. I never thought about that this could be confusing. Um, so we, we try to get as many data points as possible with many different channels as possible. So interviews, um, user desks, but also we look, I mean, we are super data driven or data informed company. So we look also on the data um, analyzed, conversion rates, rates, and so on. So what is moving the needle on the wow factor? Is it the conversion rate? Um, or what metrics are you looking at to measure that? So, yeah, I mean, conversion rates um, are definitely pointing in the right direction. I mean, if you're iterating the onboarding process again and again, and uh, the conversion rate is going up and going up, um, that, that is definitely a good sign. Um, it also helps to monitor new users and, and, for example, try to connect the fact that they tweeted about us. Um, because if they are like, after trying it out only for a couple of minutes, are already so happy um, that they're recommending us, I think that's a really, really good sign. Because normally, you try something out, uh, you get it up and running, play around with it a little bit, um, and then... Um, Afterwards, you maybe purchase a bait plan and then you recommend it. But we are seeing more and more recommendations coming home. I mean, um, right in the first couple of minutes when people are using the product because um, I think we're getting better at nailing um, the, the wow moment. But overall, so if I would have to pick like one thing, I think talking to customers is still the most important um, information channel. So something that you do on your homepage and on the blog is you take the different parts of the deployment process and that's your code storage, like GitHub, the language you're using, like Ruby and the deployment platform, like Heroku. And you take those three, you know, variables and you write content and record videos that show how to deploy all those using code ship. So if someone's using Node.js and hosting on Node.Jitsu, storing their code on Bitbucket, um, and they're searching on how to do deploys, Codeship is probably going to come up for that search. So can you talk to uh, the SEO that you guys are doing around that to acquire new customers? Yes, yeah, so to be honest, we are still really bad with SEO. Uh, yeah. The disadvantage of uh, being so passionate about um, education and educating the community is that we are doing it because we love doing it and we think it's um, necessary and it's part of the vision and 
we should not just do things that like increase the revenue or help us getting more customers. We are getting better in doing it in a more like professional way, I would say. Um, so it definitely helps with SEO, obviously. I mean, if you Google for how to deploy, as you described it, Bitbucket, Duno Jitsu, um, you will um, most probably see one of our blog posts. Um, but we have to, um, and we are working on that, and we have to get better because a lot of people um, still don't find um, a lot of our content, although it's out there, although it's useful, but we just wrote it, um, put a random headline, um, and didn't optimize anything. Um, but we are, we are getting better um, in making the content available easier. So what else are you doing to acquire new customers? Is it all just organic people discovering the education resources you're putting out there? Are you doing advertising? How's that work? Yeah, so we are doing a little bit of, of paid online marketing, but it's not like a really big channel. And I, I, I assume it will never be uh, because developers like to ask their colleagues and peers, okay, what are you using? Uh, or they, they go to meetups and talk to people or um, they, they see a presentation at a conference or they, they read a great blog article. Um, so everything around content, everything around building the thought leadership, and educating the market definitely helps, um, especially in the long run. We are um, attending a lot of meetups. We're sponsoring a lot of meetups, especially um, in Vienna and, and, and also in Boston, because we want to, especially where we are located, um, help the local startup community and, and developer community. And then word of mouth is super, super important um, because people, as I said, recommend us. If you look at... Um, Twitter, or if you look for or search for a coach at Twitter, um, I'm pretty sure if, if in the first like five or ten tweets, there are already a couple of recommendations. Um, and what, what we have seen, especially in the last months, is that a lot of people are asking on Twitter what CI tool they should use, and our customers and users proactively recommend coaching. And that's something really nice. Um, and, and I mean, from a customer acquisition point of view, it's um, amazing because we don't have to do anything. And me as a founder and builder of a product makes it just really, really happy um, if people who are using and paying us every day or paying us every month um, recommend us that way. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. And you, you are all originally from Vienna, right? And you made your way over to Boston eventually. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we, um, so yes, we are, or um, all from Vienna, or at least lit. So my two co-founders um, were born there, lived there. I moved there a couple of years ago and lived for three or four years in Vienna. Um, and I consider Vienna as home or Boston now, um, most probably. And we will keep our office there. So it's a huge advantage because there's great engineering talent available in Europe. And we have our own network there. Um, we know a lot of people there. And there is no reason why we should start or try to hire engineers in Boston or in San Francisco or somewhere else in the States where it's just so much harder and really good people are just so much more expensive and not as loyal as people in Europe. Um, so it's a great advantage if you have your own network there and if you have um, still a really close relationship with a lot of people there. 
and um, we wanna we don't want to give up that advantage. But nevertheless, Boston is really important for us. The US is really important for us, and um, in the long run, more people will be based in in Boston, and we're hiring in Boston and Vienna at the moment, and are also happy to relocate people from Europe to Vienna, uh, from Europe to Boston. But it's just hard in terms of getting a work visa. Um, but uh, we at least offer that to all our employees. And uh, you originally came to Boston because of Techstars, right? Yeah. So uh, when we decided to do it full time, uh, it was clear and it was part of the decision. We have to move to the States or at least open an office there. And since the team back then was pretty small, so three founders and by that time when we moved to the States, we got five overall. It was clear that everybody has to move because you don't want to deal with remote people, do offices with a really, really early stage company that is still trying to nail the product. Uh, it's just easier if everybody's in the same room. And um, Dexter's, especially Dexter's Boston, was just perfect in terms of timing uh, to move to the yes because we would have been way slower in moving, getting a network, and so on without Dexter's. And uh, it was definitely the right decision. It was worth it. Uh, and Boston is, in my opinion, a great place to build a company. And you don't have to be based in San Francisco to build something. So but, a lot of the people that are listening are bootstrappers. Some are funded. What would you say for people that are you know, running smaller operations, the big advantage of doing Techstars was? So I... I to be honest, really skeptical about accelerator programs because they're popping up all over the world. And I think the majority of, of accelerator programs are not good. And then there are a few like Techstars or like Y Combinator or CKM or 500 startups that uh, are really good and have a great network and are run by smart people who founded companies on their own uh, and invested in companies on their own. And my suggestion is that you take a really close look on where you want to be based in the long run and if that is Seattle for whatever reason or if that is San Francisco or Boston then take an accelerator program that is based there if it's one of the really good ones because it makes no sense to like move to Boston for three months and then go back to Europe and then you have the network in the US but if you don't like stay there and continue building the relationships and um, you, you won't get anything out of it. So that's definitely important. And then you also have to take or analyze how those accelerator programs are structured. They are all different. And they're, they're all great brands, um, but YC is different to Dexter's. Um, and the different programs uh, have different advantages and disadvantages. And there is... In our case, the best fit was with Techstars because Techstars is, or in, in, in we did, they took a pretty small class. So there were 14 teams um, and the Techstars team and all the mentors, they helped us a lot. And they spent a lot of time with the whole team, with the, the founders, with the CEO. So it wasn't just about meeting a lot of people, but it was about getting better as founders or getting better as executives and being able to not just run a startup that has five people, but also be able to make the next step and raise a bigger round and then be able to 
manage a team that has 20 or 50 people. Um, and that was especially important for us. And um, they were really helpful. And I think uh, an accelerator program or mentors can only be helpful with that if they spend a lot of time with you because they have to mentor you, they have to see your progress, they have to um, understand um, what is going on in your startup. And that's not possible if you meet them like once a month uh, or once a week, in my opinion. Mm. And I would not um, be too excited about accelerator programs just because you read a lot about them and you hear all the stories and read all, a lot about all those startups who did it and raised a lot of money afterwards. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do the work and you have to build your company. And they open a lot of doors, but you have to walk through them and you have to decide which doors you have to walk and which not. Um, so you also have to ignore a lot of advice. Um, that's that's really important. That's great. Yeah, so um, just to as a kind of final wrap up question, um, what is something if you were starting again today that you would have done differently um, looking back and taking in all the lessons that you've learned um, from the last year? Focus. <laughs> <laughs> so wh where were you guys unfocused? Um, so we started it. Uh, so focus is one, and then um, trust in your gut feeling. Um, so when we started it with the initial prototype, it, I mean, we started it a long time ago, but did it as a side project for one or two years because we were not confident enough uh, in jumping in full time. We were not getting enough positive feedback. Which was, or the, the main reason was that we were based in, in Austria and in Vienna, and um, the people there were not, I mean, there is not a big startup community there. There are no developer tools if <laughs> you build in a bus in Vienna. So there's not a lot of experience around the topic, and um, people were just not really excited about a better continuous development tool. And while in the US, there were already a lot of people um, analyzing the market, investing into the market. Um, so we should have focused on doing it full-time way earlier, or at least move for a certain time period to a place where we would have got better feedback. What was distracting you back then? Fun. So, so, the, 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 um, so, so that, that's one point. That's the point um, why I should like trust. Your, your gut feeling, do you, if you think you have a great idea, I mean, it's important to get a lot of feedback and think about it and implement some of the feedback. But as I said before, it's important to ignore a lot of the feedback. And it's a thin line between ignoring and not ignoring. And that's one of the most important things you have to learn as a founder, especially as a founder CEO. And the earlier you learn that, the better. And that focus, so our problem was that we did it as a side project. That means we were doing other things. I was running a different company. The co-founders were working in different jobs. And it was just, especially for me, just stupid to build another product in parallel to building a startup. Uh, and I, I will never ever do that again. Uh, and that maybe explains why I'm so focused on like only doing a few things and doing them really, really good um, and then do the next things. Yeah, I love how that's translated directly into your product that you're building. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to learn from your mistakes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've we've all we've all done it at some extent too. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on here today and uh, and sharing your insight. Where can our we keep up with you um, and CodeShip's development? So first of all, thanks for having me. Um, just follow us on Twitter. Um, I mean, I'm happy to help every. I mean, it's hard to have every startup, but if somebody has any questions, if somebody wants to know more about you know coaching, how we did certain things, um, or for example, tech stars, I'm, I'm more than happy to help. Just um, follow me on Twitter, tweet something, uh, and I'm happy to do a quick call. Well, I mean, that is an open introduction, so. Um, if you can take advantage of that, that's amazing. Sweet. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you haven't yet, pop open iTunes and subscribe to be notified of future episodes. We have some really great ones lined up. And while you're there, leave us a review. We really appreciate each and every one of them. numbers game, but shit don't add up somehow. Like I got 16 to 32 balls to rocket, but only 15% of profits ever seen my pockets like 69 billion in the last 20 years spent on national defense but folks still live in fear like nearly half of america's largest cities is one quarter black that's why they gave ricky ross all the crack 16 ounces to a pound 20 more to a key a five minute sentence hearing that you're no longer free 40 percent of americans own a cell phone so they can hear everything that you say when you ain't home i guess michael jackson was right you were not alone rock your hard hat black as you in the terror dome full of hard niggas large niggas dice tumblers